Welcome to the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. lovely. Well, today we come to the close of the Vimalakirti Sutra. Um, I've said uh, a few times, actually, uh, we're kind of just doing the highlights of the Sutra, but uh, there's a lot in there. But the section today is uh, the big finish. You know, a good uh, story or a movie or uh, a novel needs uh, a big finish, and this is it, for sure, because Vimalakirti and all the party in his little room uh, go see the Buddha. It's like uh, at the end of The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy finally found the wizard. In this case, however, we hope that it's a little more than a man behind the curtain. Uh, There's actually something there. But it's another miracle story. And also, I think an image of Buddha that I got to say it is as close to, if people say there's no miracles and God in Zen and Buddhism, I'm going to say, well, look at a section like this. This is pretty close. If that's not about the same way that a lot of people describe miracles and God, and the Vimalakirti Sutra has been cherished for centuries in Zen Buddhism. So I guess that Zen Buddhism comes pretty close. All you folks who said I'm running to Zen because it's such a rational, scientific, you know, religion, philosophy. But I'm going to say this. I'm going to make my case to you this. The conception of miracles in God that we're going to see in this is something that not only can some Christians and Jews and uh, Islamic folks, I think, believe in, not everyone, I'm saying some, but also it's a conception of God that I think even agnostics and downright atheists could easily believe in. Not all atheists, perhaps, but it's kind of a, uh, shall we say, a, uh, deistic or uh, harmonious source of the universe, something like that, that you don't have to necessarily believe in a man on a throne with a long beard. Except today's story, by the way, seems to have a man on a throne. I don't know if he had a beard, but uh, he certainly had, you know, a throne. So this is what we're going to look at today. So let's begin with the miracle. Also, something I hope I can show you is uh, something even uh, skeptics like me can believe in. Now, this is not exactly from chapter 12. This is actually, this little bit is from a couple of chapters before when Vimalakirti says, hey guys, it's been a great party, but let's go see the big boy, the the Buddha. 
So Vimalakirti, employing his supernatural powers, proceeded to pick up the whole great assembly along with their lion seats, place them in the palm of his right hand and journey with them to the place where the Buddha was. After arriving there and depositing, depositing them on the ground, I hope gently, he bowed his head at the feet of the Buddha, circled to the right, performing seven circumambulations of the Buddha and pressing his palms together with a single mind stood to one side. Okay, now that's, uh, if that's not a miracle, I don't know what a miracle is. Guy takes an infinite number of bodhisattvas and divas and whoever else is there in his room with him and their chairs in his palm and takes them to, to see the Buddha. Now, why do I say this is something that even a skeptic like me can believe in? I, I, I've said this before. You know, Star Trek, we watch Star Trek and we have a teleporter, you know. I even watched the most recent Star Trek and they were traveling back in time. And we say, well, okay, but that's just Star Trek, you know. It's a story. There you go, folks. But the story from Star Trek with the teleporter and the time travel. Also, if you saw the most recent Picard, not bad, by the way had serious point to it about a redemption and healing the past. And there was a real point there that was conveyed in a very colorful, uh, futuristic image of people teleporting and mind reading and doing all kinds of things in that story. And we have no trouble with it. So I ask you, skeptical folks like I am, to take this like that, a good image, magical story that has a very serious point. But let me say this too. Most of the Buddhist miracles also have a, a kind of reasonable point in Buddhist doctrine too, which I remind you the Buddhist teaching here is there over here. Then is now then. Now is then now, and let's take this further. Danny is Jundo Dannying. When you get home, tell Casper that he's married to Jundo and see what he says. <laughs> okay? Yakshim is Bion. Bion is the tree Bioning. And the tree is Yakshim Treeing. Okay, we just don't, we, we, we see the world this way, that everything is the face of the other as that other. And it's an experience we have in Zazen when our hard sense of self is realized as the whole and everything in it. So if Bimila Kirti put everyone in the palm of their, his hand and traveled someplace, we say he did because he actually needed to go nowhere. And his palm of his hand was already everyone, including the Buddha. I know it's hard to get your head around. That's linguistically as close as I can explain. Hello, 
Chris, good to see you. Okay. Now, uh, by the way, little footnote here. He circumambulated the Buddha seven times. This sent me down a rabbit hole. I said, why seven times? To make a long story short, it's one of those spiritual numbers. Oh, boy. Uh, it's not just Buddhism. Do you know that the uh, Islamic folks go around the, what is it, the Kabbalah in Mecca when they do seven times? And when you have an Orthodox Jewish wedding, the groom circulates the bride seven times. And there's sevens, you name it, there are sevens everywhere. It's just one of those numbers. If there are any of our mathematics folks, or I'll post something later, it's one of those uh, prime numbers that, for some reason, pops up all over in Kabbalah and all these places seven times, okay? And I started to go, and that's, I'm just going to leave it there. I don't, seven times. Okay, now, here's this image of the Buddha that I say that even some Christians and Jews and Islamic folks, if they have a certain vision of what God could be, and atheists, some of them, and physicists, and uh, just uh, us uh, other folk, I don't know, in between, and Buddhists could say that this is a description of Buddha that is Godhead-like, but could actually find common groundless ground. That's a little joke there. That's important. Groundless ground to bring all those people together, okay? How? Let me read this. Thereupon the Buddha said to the Lekhavi Vimalakirti, noble son, when you see the Tathagata, how do you view him? Thus addressed, Vimalakirti said to the Buddha, Lord, there you go, there's one right there, Lord, when I would see the Tathagata, I view him by not seeing any Tathagata. Okay, here we start around. So this guy has come to the Buddha. He's circumambulated uh, seven times and then is asked, how do you see this? How do you see me? And uh, Vermilakirti says, when I see you, I don't see any you. Something that only makes sense in Buddhism. It's a little like saying, we're going to see this appear certain times. This is a dream. I'm seeing you in this dream. I know it's a dream that there's something beyond this dream. And I'm talking that dream includes us sitting here, Danny drinking tea and uh, Chris in his uh, house and uh, Bjorn. This is all a dream, in a sense, because obviously, knock on wood, it's a, a real dream. And uh, I like this dream. Look at this beautiful day outside. If that's a dream, I'm keeping this dream. But anyway, there's a certain dream-like quality to the Buddha, something transcendent of all that. And uh, Vermilakirti says, oh, Buddha, I know you're just a dream. But I'm talking to you anyway. 
and circumnambulating around you seven times. And he continues, why I see him, that's you, Buddha, as not born from the past, not passing on to the future, and not abiding in the present time. There is something in this dream of time that somehow leaps through the past, leaps through the future, and if I, as I often say, if there's no past or future, how do you even define now, the present? The present is a word that only makes sense when we contrast it with present, past and future. So if we have said, you know, it's that timeless, you don't even need the word the present. So there's this aspect of Buddha that transcends future, past, even present. Why? He is the essence which is the reality of matter, but he is not matter. Okay, now this seems to be getting into the religious concept. Oh, wait a second. If you don't believe in matter, that means you believe in the spiritual, and that's religion. Right? Let me put something to you, too, that I had a discussion with my good friend, uh, a theoretical physicist, Saverio. This contrast that has plagued Western philosophy for centuries of spirit versus matter, spirit versus matter. Why only these two categories? You have matter, we're atoms, and I'm not saying no, you know, even, okay. But then why is the only alternative spirit? My theoretical friend, the physicist says, physics has coming to explain that there must be some as yet poorly understood third category that is the source of all. Because obviously something sprung out of the Big Bang and something there's a timeless aspect to the universe. And we, and we don't know what is this timeless, a-causational, causing something that was the source of all the matter, the, as in, at our particle collider down the road here, they smash things together and they find uh, we have uh, matter and antimatter. There is some source of the antimatter and matter. We don't know what it is, says my theoretical physics friend. Why do we call it spirit? There's something more. Okay, so here he's saying, uh, you are the essence of the reality of matter, but he is not matter, which doesn't necessarily mean we have to run to something spiritual. There's something transcendent here, okay? He is the essence which is the reality of sensation, but he is not sensation. He is the essence which is the reality of intellect, but not intellect, uh, of your volition, your will, but not your will. He is the essence of the reality of consciousness, but he is not consciousness. Again, Buddhism is seeing something that is the source of your being conscious, which is the great, the hard question. We don't know what this is. Your husband's researching it. Your husband actually is a dream expert, uh, so, but he's researching what is consciousness in a sense. 
And there is some source of this we, we, we do not understand. This, whatever it is, is that source. That is somehow our consciousness, but is also the source of it that somehow more than that or more than the eye perceives of our, our separate consciousnesses, our separate consciousnesses, I don't know how to, is that plural of consciousnesses, consciousnesses, okay, all right, many physicists again saying, well, there's a source of the consciousness appeared, and it seems to be a, uh, what, what do they say, a, uh, a phenomenon that appeared from matter, okay, but there is some source of this, and, and he's, he's saying, Buddha, you are this, you are the consciousness, and yet more. You transcend the scope of eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind, yet he has not, he is not produced in the six senses. He is not involved in the three worlds, past, present, and future, and he is free of the three defilements. In other words, he's everything and yet the source of everything and yet more than everything. And yet we don't have to run and immediately turn to, it must be the spirit. I don't know what it, it, it it's something transcendent, wondrous. Why do I say the physicists can agree on this? because there's a look at the harmony of this world. And it's a wondrous, how did we appear here in the middle of time and space? And you know, all the factors against us being born, yet here we are. And the trees and even the weeds I had to pull all week, they're miracles, okay? Something fantastic and balanced and, and very complicated to our little minds is going on. And whatever that is, Folks for thousands of years have tried to come up with an answer. Einstein said, the harmony of my equations, he sensed something. Um, a biologist would say maybe the, the harmony of nature. A Christian might call it God. A Jew might call it also God, but we, without the, the O, we can't say vowels for some reason. I don't know what that's about. But anyway, something. All right, that certain Christians, if they have this very, shall we say, Godhead, deistic, Spinoza-like image of the harmony of the universe could buy into this. The physicists could see it if they feel this harmony of the equations, whatever it is, this Buddha, okay? And just to tell a good story, they gave him a throne and a beard and they stuck him on a chair and we go visit him by going in the palm of our hand because it makes a good story. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is this transcendent factor, which is why is it important to us? All our problems in the world are based on separation. Uh, Danny has literally heard me say this 1,000 times. All the problems in the world are based on our separation. Yakshim has heard it 998 times, right? And when there is unity and harmony and transcendence, okay, somehow. Yet we're still in this dream, this world of conflicts and problems, things that go good and things that go bad and things that live and things that die, but yet there's something 
that sweeps this all in, and we Buddhists think that this is us in another face. Okay? And that's what we're trying to experience when we sit Zazen. All right, let me, uh, this just continues. Let me just uh, run through the next section. It's more of the, he is not produced from causes, but nor does he depend on conditions. Yet he is, this Buddha, is all causes or the source of all causes or conditions. My theoretical physics friend says, yes, of course, before the Big Bang, we're looking at something like that, that had to be transcendent of causes and conditions and time, but yet is the source of all causes, conditions, and time. He has no single nature, nor any diversity of natures. He is not a conception, not a mental conception, nor is he a non-conception. He is neither the other shore of enlightenment, nor this shore, nor in between. He is neither here nor there, nor anywhere else, footnote, but is all places, and is all things. And it goes on. He is neither good nor evil. This is an interesting one. All the bad things that happen in this world and all the good things that happen in this world. This is somehow the source of all this, the, the, the grounding that ties it all together, yet is transcendent of all the, the troubles we see and, and, and experience in the world somehow. Again, very close to some folks' conception of God. The harmony of Einstein might also say, yes, there's some harmony to the universe that transcends our little work evils on this planet. And uh, the evils we see in this world, either sometimes we do them to ourselves or uh, it's our reaction to nature. You know, if a tiger eat me, eats me, it's just a tiger eating me. It's not necessarily evil, just how nature is. Not how I would have designed nature. I would have made the tigers vegetarians. But if I, I'm not in charge, I'm not the Buddha, you know, guy with the white beard. So I didn't, I mean, he made the tigers not vegetarian. What can I do? Okay. We have school shootings. This is people doing terrible things to people. All the Buddha can say, well, um, this is people's anger and ignorance. And it's a terrible thing what people do. And there's also something transcendent of death. That's all we can offer. If I had designed the world, I would have made no school shootings as well. Uh, apparently, if there's an engineer up there, we call God. You must have been a B or C student. Could have done a little better. Just saying. But I didn't design the thing. Okay. Anyway. And it continues like that. Now, <clears throat> Uh, let me just go a few more at the end. I don't have to read. You can read the whole list at your leisure. At your leisure. I'm just going to do the last few lines here. Uh, he is without activity, without birth, without occurrence, without origin, without production, and without non-production, yet is, again, somehow the source of all that. He is without fear, without sorrow, without joy, and without strain, even though we feel all those things. No verbal teaching can express him, also very sexist, just like the other religion, or her, or any other gender. He is the source of all genders and has no gender. Let me add that. I'm updating the Vimalakirti Sutra and includes all genders. 
Such is the body of the Tathagata, and thus should he be seen. Who sees thus truly sees. Okay, now, so I said this is about as close as you're going to get. And not just this sutra, many sutras. There's this fantastic image of the Buddha, of the Dharmakaya, which is this completely transcendent Buddha. And then you have the uh, Sambhogokaya, which is the really fantastic golden Buddha, which people needed because I think they needed some fantastic image. They say, this is a fantastic teaching. I need to have a fantastic image. Give me somebody golden on a throne. Thank you. Okay? Like, like Lord of the Rings, you know. Lord of the Rings would not be the same if they were in Manhattan chasing dogs. It has to be in an ancient kingdom with elves and dragons. People need this to tell a good story. Could you imagine if Lord of the Rings was a story set in Manhattan where a guy has to get a taxi cab to go find his dog and return a ring that he to the department store? No, you could, you know, it wouldn't be the same story. You need a mountain, you need a golden ring, you need volcano, you know, you, you need fa fantastic. So all religions create this fantastic image to create something fantastic. But here's the question. We also had the historical Buddha, the Nirmanakaya, the guy in India. And one of the criticisms of Mahayana Buddhism, not just Zen, is this. Hey, that guy taught a very down-to-earth, worldly system of ethics and peace. And uh, that is good. But then we get into the Mahayana here, which Zen is part of the Mahayana, with all this fantasy. Didn't that lose the Buddha's message, original message? Well, I can't answer for the Buddha but I, uh, he's not here. But, uh, except the Buddha is here in the other, for the Mahayana folks, Buddha is here. But I mean the historical Buddha, he's not here, so I can't talk for him. Is it the same? I'm going to say yes, and here's why. I'm going to say yes. I don't think the original Buddha, when he spoke about liberation from samsara, was just speaking about ethics. Uh, Stephen Batchelor, some of the other down-to-earth writers, sometimes say he was just teaching ethics just to be good. I think he was teaching ethics, you need to be good in order to realize something, but he was teaching something much more, transcendent of samsara. You need to be good, free of violence, free of greed and excess desire, free of jealousy and such. But it's Early Buddhism was more than just a school of ethics. Early Buddhism was also a school of transcendence of samsara, this, this world of separation. The Buddha experienced something beyond this world of birth and death, sickness and health, right? Separation, conflict. The Buddha experienced something transcendent. The transcendent that the Buddha experience, I believe, is the same transcendence. Transcendence is transcendence. Now, did we fancy up the story in the Mahayana? Guilty is charged. Yes, yes. Okay, if you like the simpler version, fine. As I said, you don't, if you don't like your Star Trek with the transporters and you want, you know, more down-to-earth story, or maybe a Rome, Rome, Rome uh, was it Romcon, rom, romance, comedy, rom, rom com. You know, you want something, Sam? Whatever you want, however you want the story told, 
it's the same transcendent story. Okay. Even if you don't like this, the, the fancy version, the point is the transcendence. And again, in Buddhism, transcendence does not mean escaping this world. The beautiful parts, this garden, oh my gosh, you should see what it looks like out here in the, in the beautiful sky today. And the school shootings that break your heart. The Mahayana does not escape from that. What the Mahayana does is sees through that, even as we are up to our necks in it. Now, maybe early Buddhism was about getting completely out of samsara. That may be true too. That may have been a change, another change in early Buddhism. Early Buddhism might have said, this world is hopeless. The, the goal is not to be reborn again in it. Without, you couldn't commit suicide. That was cheating too. That, that, was, not an, that was not what he meant. You had to have a spiritual awakening that got you, as we say in, in English, out of Dodge. You had to get completely out of town. Okay? The Mahayana may have a sense more that we can escape even while we're here. I like that because I don't want to go anywhere. I like this beautiful, messed up world, even if I would have done a better job. <laughs> I, actually, I would have messed it up worse. What am I kidding? I don't know anything about engineering, you know? My lawnmower is not working so good. I can't even, I'm trying to change, change the spark plug. It's a big thing for me. I can't fix the world. But, uh, this world is not perfect, but it's beautiful. And what we can do and tragic things happen. Uh, Shonen, I'm thinking of your daughter again. This is all dedicated to her, peace to her. She didn't go anywhere, we believe, even though she's gone. So this is what we do. We somehow see beyond all this, and that comes to the end, which is about life and death. This is the uh, big finish. So um, the Buddha somehow wants to ask a question of Vimalakirti, but says to Shariputra, Shariputra, you ask for me. Well, maybe the, the Buddha should not be seen asking a question directly. So it says, you ask for me. Yes. All right. So Shariputra says, at that time, Shariputra asked Vimalakirti, that's the same Shariputra from our Heart Sutra, by the way, uh, where did you die before you were reborn here? Vimalakirti says, hey, smarty pants, in the law that you learned, is there any such thing as dying or being born? Shariputra replied, no, there is no dying or being born which may confuse some people who are pretty sure, look at your birth certificate, like Barack Obama, I wanna see the birth certificate. Yeah, that's a joke for our American friends. Uh, you were born, it's written there on a piece of paper. Ask your mother, unless she's no longer in the world, but then she did not pass away either, according to what we're writing here. Very strange people we are, we Buddhists, aren't we? There is no dying or being born, Vimalakirti, Likewise, Reverend Shariputra, as all things neither die nor are reborn, why do you ask where did you die to reincarnate here? Small technical point. These days we tend not to say reincarnation. We tend to say rebirth because of this little technicality. We don't quite believe in a soul. It's, again, a tempest in a teapot. There's something that continued in traditional Buddhism from life to life to life. So call it rebirth, reincarnation. It's basically, the, it's basically the same. 
Okay. Basically. All right. But anyway, so where did you die to reincarnate? Reverend Shariputra, if one were to ask a man or a woman created by a magician where he or she had died to reincarnate there, what do you think he or she would answer? Shariputra. Noble sir, a magical creation does not die, nor is it reborn. I watched that Star Trek series, Picard, which was about his birth and death and many things. But did Picard die? Was Picard born? He's a fictional character. Well, we come to see ourselves kind of as these magical creations, and it's a magical world. Look at that sky, Danny. Is it not magical? Are we not magical creations? It's a magical world. Look at your hand. Everyone, right there, with the opposable thumb and the whole thing that made human beings what we are. Isn't that a miracle and magic? To have that. Are you not a magical creature? A magical creature does not die, nor is it reborn. And Vimalakirti said, Reverend Shariputra, did not the Tathagata declare that all things have the nature of a magical creation? Shariputra, yes, Nova, sir, you're right again. He indeed said so. So Vermilakirti responds, Reverend Shariputra, death is an end of performance, and rebirth is the continuation of performance. But the Bodhisattva, though he dies, does not wipe out his good roots. And though he is born, he does not prolong those things that are evil. How would I summarize this? Whether you believe in literal rebirth, life after life, or rebirth just moment to moment, or the way I do, I see, as I said, rebirth as the blades of grass and the blue sky. I see rebirth as Danny. I see rebirth as children a thousand years from now. I see my rebirth as little ants on the ground a million years ago. Whatever, here or on a distant planet, this is my rebirth. Because as I said, everything is a face of everything else. But the Bodhisattva makes a vow, you see, even though we don't quite believe in birth and death, yet we're born and we die. So the Bodhisattva makes a vow. Our vow is to help everyone see the same transcended whatever that is free of birth and death and free of conflict and free of all the ugliness and the small beauty of the world because it's a, somehow a great harmony and beauty. And this is our vow to free sentient beings. Uh, one of my priests wrote me and she, she said this week, um, her, her partner is very sick. Um, and uh, she's not feeling well. And I said, I wish I could do one thing to take that away from you. I can't. All I can do is take it away from you by offering this. I couldn't make her husband's back feel better. You know, I can just offer this, which somehow leaps through that. I'm not offering it. Vimalakirti is offering it. The Buddha is offering it. That's all we got. Can't bring those 21 kids back from the school and 
Texas. I can't end the war in Ukraine. Mr. Putin is apparently not going to listen to me any more than tigers are going to become vegetarians. Can't do a thing. But we can offer the world this, which somehow leaps through it and beyond it, even as like Vera Milikerti, in this life, we vow to do good and to not do evil and to correct evil as much as we can. This is our vow. We see through the war, we see through the killing, we vow to end the war and vow to end the killing as much as we can. That is what we have. That's the message, I think, of the great lay bodhisattva, the Milikurti. Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast zazen, retreats, discussion, jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.